On the other side of Texas, history has its place. On the other side of Texas, justice rules the case. They don't like it, they don't love it. They say we're all wrong, but on the other side of Texas halls, we roll along. Hey there, thanks for tuning in and telling a friend that you hang out here on the other side of Texas, the little show that could, the little outpost on the Caprock, making headlines across the state, and it's all because of you, and because you come and hang out here with us. So glad you do. Your host, Jay West Texas Leeson, rolling along here. we got Dr. Jason White in studio, here to referred to as Doc. Uh, as we roll along in the studios where Buddy Holly became famous, Waylon Jennings smoked some stuff that has left some soot on the walls. Not sure exactly what that was. Broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash studios. Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's Best Wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the Hub City for the best wash around. Guaranteed racerwash.com doc white lift that mic up towards your face about six inches away <laughs> let's get into it how are you i'm good how are you you're gonna have ross ramsey call in here in about 10 minutes from now and it's my opportunity to he's my shrink he's my uh texas politics shrink i just lay down on his couch i ask him about what's going on how does this happen how did that happen what's going to happen ross ramsey with all the questions and then after ross ramsey you and i get into an elongated conversations on your political observations there yeah it's been a while right uh people people like the uh commercials my jingle yeah oh they love it yeah it's, i had a message the other day that said who did your jingle yeah bo garza bo garza so Here's my thinking as we kick off the program. We need a new party in West Texas. I am I am so certain of that now. I get emails a lot about an old column I wrote called A Politics of Place. People who see their place and then their politics through it and don't take up a nationalized idea. This, I think, is dangerous, Doc. Like, it's okay to feel this way or that way about a congresswoman from New York or from California and and wig out about that. But whenever you start trying to find those people behind every bush, every nook and cranny where you live, and try to make, let's say, the mayor or a councilman or a commissioner into those people, now we're on a dangerous slope. Yeah. And I think we saw that a lot through the Obama administration. Obama's behind every bush in Lubbock. And people just knee-jerk in that. And I think that it's a dangerous reaction. So much so that this week in the Avalanche Journal, I'm going, in Avalanche Journal and Amarillo Globe News, I'm going to put up a piece that's an old piece that I've updated, uh, a politics of place, and it's going to run in both of those markets and all the rural entities throughout and you know this is how i start that old piece is a place carries and just think whether it be the ranch what's the name of the ranch doc drop time draw in my ranch Mm -hmm. yeah near post 
you've learned how it works. That's right. The animals have learned how it works. And whether it be a ranch or it be a region, a place carries a continuity of knowledge and passes it from generation to generation. How the place works, what makes it turn. When there's disruption in this continuity, learning transpires by costly lessons of what the place will and will not tolerate. Such learning risks decline, perhaps demise. And that's how I start the piece. And so far as West Texans sitting around and talking, whenever whenever everything is driven from the state level in little whenever we're handing over on the state level for instance whenever we're handing over bags of grain for a bowl of of porridge that's not conservative because you aren't conserving it you're giving everything away and that's what i think we see on the republican side on the democratic side i think there's a part in there where i say the democratic party has lost sight of the middle class and has taken up umbrage and hyper focus on Wendy Davis's pink jogging shoe, pink abortion jogging shoes, the Green New Deal, and cultural liberalism. Mm-hmm. And those are the like. When was the last time? Let me ask you this, Doc. When was the last time you went to a Lubbock County Republican Party event? Never. And I think a lot of people would sit and I would. I I mean, back in the past, I used to be actively involved and wanting to be actively involved in the Republican Party. But? But it's not that they just don't follow the same mindset and thoughts that you and I share. And I think a lot of people, and that's why, like, at their annual event, there's like 75 people. Yeah, And there's no one finger to point there, though I've got a couple of names in mind. But it's just what these political parties on the county levels have dwindled into is a national lens on what's going on locally. And people just don't jive with it. So guess what? You got one Saturday a year in which you're going to have your big annual event. And there's a reason why 75 people show up on both sides. Right. Even though, by and large, the Republican Party should have, I mean, adjusted for the amount of people that vote Republican, should should have several, several hundred or, or thousands. Yeah, if people are actively involved in their local community. But they've lost touch. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, and this is the point that I make, is that, did you know... Of our top employers in Lubbock, hold on, I'll pull this up. The majority are are government entities, and of that majority, I think some 82% are government jobs. Now, government, whenever I say government, I mean... UMC, I mean, Texas, Texas Tech, Tech I mean, and uh, the UMC Physicians Network. Uh, but And that's non-ag, by the way. That's non-ag numbers mm-hmm. that some seven or eight out of the top ten. And if you can't – and this is my thing, Jason. If 
Let's say in another universe, Beto O'Rourke came into Lubbock and said, you guys do a fantastic job with government. You've harnessed government. You make it work for you. People would say, how so? And all he'd have to answer is three easy questions about how so. And we in Lubbock make government work for us. There's no doubt about it. And all these non, like you started up AD auto how many nurses how many teachers how many how many government employees have you had and i call nurses i don't mean to call nurses government employees Mm -hmm. and i think certainly every teacher goes to work every day like every other professional but how much of their paycheck is made up by medicaid and medicare and other government entities right right And, and i'm not meaning to put anybody's nose I'm not, I, I don't mean to put anybody's nose in a cow patty. That's not the point. Because a lot of us here, a lot of us that are in business know how Lubbock works, what makes it turn, the continuity of knowledge that I just mentioned. And government does make Lubbock work. That's why Lubbock never has a recession. You know, I'm in the real estate business now. You're doing a radio show. When, when, does, Lubbock, when does Lubbock have a downturn? It doesn't have a downturn. You know why? Yeah. Because of agriculture because of medical because of education and if you don't recognize those facts then you're blind and if you're on the right and you're like well we shouldn't have any government well let's shut lubbock down tomorrow if you're on the left and you want to say let's have overreaching government then that's not what makes lubbock work lubbock makes government work for it and that's what you're the other side of texas that's where you came up with that idea right from the beginning is to represent that new political party, per se. Well, the West Texas crap. We used to call it that two years ago, remember? The West Texican or the West, West Texas Tex- crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Hey, we're going to get in a quick break, get more in with Jason White coming up, Doc White here on the program with us. Cliff Wilkes chiming in the text line. Doc White in the house. He is in the house, and uh, glad Cliff is listening. Gonna get Ross Ramsey in after this quickie break. Stick right with us here on the other side. It's loud enough, you gotta yell now. The whole thing hits me like a song. A pretty one won't last long. He is my Texas legislature political shrink. He is Ross Ramsey. Glad to have him. On the show with us now, Ross Ramsey. How you doing, buddy? I'm great, sir. How are you? I'm glad to have you back on for another edition of the program. So are a lot of other people. Uh, let's start with, let's talk about this Secretary of the State. Um, usually a non-political entity uh, kind of stays out of the spotlight, but got in the spotlight. Tell us how and what's happened here. Well, you know, it's a semi-political thing. It's a gubernatorial appointment. It's the state's chief elections officer. So they're in the middle of all the elections and politics and everything. They're generally, you know, sort of gently a satellite of whichever governor they're serving. And in this case, David Whitley was appointed by Greg Abbott uh, to run the office after Rolando Pablos left. He's only been in there since December 17th, and he hasn't been confirmed yet by the Texas Senate. So, you know, everything was kind of coasting along and, you know, nobody was really paying much attention to this because it's a very rare thing for someone appointed 
to be Secretary of State to be in any kind of trouble. But then a couple of weeks ago, the Secretary of State's office put out a press release saying that they had, um, with some information that they got from the Department of Public Safety and some information on their own, compiled a list of about 95,000 people who at one time or another had been identified or identified themselves as non-citizens and who were also at another time or maybe at the same time um, registered to vote. About 55,000 of those had voted and the suggestion was that they had a bunch of non-citizens voting in Texas. Uh, it turns out that there's a whole lot of things wrong with that list, um, including that you know these people could be processed through time, you know, go to the DPS, get a state ID or a driver's license, identify themselves at that time as non-citizens, subsequently become naturalized, get a voter identification or a voter registration, and then go vote, just like you're supposed to do. Uh, so the list wasn't cleaned up before they announced this and also referred it to the Attorney General's office for possible investigation. They sent the list uh, broken down into, you know, counties uh, to the people in charge of voter lists in the state's 254 counties, and that's where you would get a check and a final list that said, you know, in fact, here we've got, you know, this person, uh, this one shouldn't be on the list, this one shouldn't be on the list, this one should be on the list. So it's a big, giant mess. The Democrats jumped into this and said, you're trying to do voter suppression and tell people that... They shouldn't be able to vote and scare people away. Uh, some of the Republicans, Ken Paxton, the attorney general, for example, said this is uh, an example of possible voter fraud and problems on the election rolls. And it turned into a big partisan fight. But at the bottom of it is this list that is, um, by, you know, by most accounts, a flawed list. It's not a completed project. They don't know really how many of these people, if any of them, were non-citizens who were registered to vote and or voted. So um, so David Whitley's uh, confirmation hearing comes up in the middle of all of this, and he walked into partisan fire and went before the Senate Nominations Committee last week, endured a couple of hours of really tough questioning, uh, mostly from Democrats, but also from a couple of Republicans. Um, and that committee was going to vote him out and for full Senate confirmation on Valentine's Day. And the chairman, or the chairwoman, uh, Don Buckingham, state senator, announced earlier this week that uh, they were just going to pause this and not vote this week, but it would come up later. So hmm. it's an indication from outside that, you know, they don't have the votes yet. Wow. Don't have the votes yet on Whitley. Why did Pablo sit down? You know, he didn't leave it a, you know, he didn't say anything peculiar at the time, and it wasn't really a remarkable piece of timing. I mean, you know, the, you know, secretaries of state uh, sometimes last a couple of years. Most of the time they don't last that long. Um, they don't stick around that long. The election was over. Um, and, you know, that's a pretty normal inflection point for a secretary of state to step down. So that wasn't particularly unusual, and nobody said anything at the time. A lot of people now and you know, now that we know what was going on with this list and everything and that it had been going on for a while, a lot of people are wondering what you just asked. You know, did he leave and did it have something to do – did his leaving have something to do with all of this? Uh, we don't have any evidence of that. Hmm. 
Ross Ramsey, my political shrink, as I lay down on his couch and get my Texas legislature mind right with us here. Uh, what did you make of El Paso the other night? On Monday night, um, it was pretty clear that, to me, that this is my inference. And you start with this. And shoot me down if you need to. I know you will. This was Beto O'Rourke versus Donald Trump 2020. Is that how you made it out to be? Why did Beto O'Rourke make the efforts that he did? It, yeah, well, it's a little bit that way. You know, I, I do sort of wonder, you know, if you're in the White House and you're looking at this and you say, you know, what if we go down to El Paso and do this and you play that out and you talk to your, you know, you just talk to your political staff and say, well, it'll happen. The idea that someone local will do a counter event is pretty normal. Every time the president does one of his MAGA rallies, you know, there's there's always the you know the Democratic the Democrats in whatever locality he's in do some kind of counter rally. And if you were thinking about that from the standpoint of the White House and said, well, who would do it down there? Beto O'Rourke is the natural answer. If you did it in San Antonio, you'd probably get a counter rally from Julian Castro, you know, and so on. So I think in some ways that, you know, the president wanted to make a point about a border wall. The El Paso County Coliseum, you know, has been there for years. I, I grew up mostly in El Paso, and it's right on the border. It's the old cow palace where they had all the where they have all the rodeos and everything. And uh, it's right on the border. So if you're going to stage an event like this, and in particular if you're going to do it after you've mentioned crime going down in El Paso after the wall was built during your State of the Union address, this is sort of a natural thing. And it also, you know, um, gives Beto a chance to shine. Now, why the president would want O'Rourke to shine or whether he even cared, I don't know. But it you know, it they couldn't have, or they had to expect the they had to expect the counter rally and had to have a pretty good idea who was going to run it. Who do you think won the night? You know, I don't know that anybody won the night. I don't know if this is one of those events anybody's going to be talking about in a week or not. You know, these things kind of go by. It, you know, you had a president uh, making his point about the wall, and you know, in advance of the negotiations or, or in sync, I guess, with the negotiations that were going on between the House and the Senate over this bill that, you know, could shut down government, um, it looks, you know, at this moment could change, but it looks at this moment like they've settled all of that. But he had a, you know, sort of a classic rally. He, you know, rallied his troops around the finish the wall idea, build the wall idea. He continues to maintain, although local officials in El Paso, you know, flatly deny it, Republicans and Democrats alike, that the wall that went up in El Paso cut crime in El Paso. Uh, the police stats don't bear that out, but that was, you know, that was his pitch, and he went down and made it. Beto O'Rourke came up, as you would expect, in defense of El Paso, much smaller. Uh, he had a bigger crowd and a smaller audience, if that makes sense. I think more people nationally were paying attention to the president than to Beto O'Rourke. But if the you know the reporters that we had in El Paso on the scene you know said that you know there were more people at the O'Rourke rally than there were in the Coliseum by by some number, it is wasn't that a what giant they say, difference. Ross? That's what they say. Okay. Uh, so go ahead. So I you know I, I I like I say I don't know that this is the kind of event that you're going to remember as a you know the day it all started you know Beto O'Rourke or whoever the Democratic nominee for president is going to be has to run a gauntlet and it's starting to look a little bit like what the republicans did in 2016 they're going to have 
a dozen or more candidates. And, you know, I would I would be really hesitant to handicap how that race would go, much less say Beto O'Rourke's going to be the nominee. Do you think that uh, Beto O'Rourke will run as a centrist, or do you think he'll run left to center? I'm not convinced he's going to run for president. You know, I, I, I think there's still a chance that he runs for Senate or does something else. And, you know, if that you're he looking at run the, against Cornyn. Right. If you're looking at the field of candidates for president, you know, that's a big field. It's got a lot of big names in it. And, you, you know, if you look at your odds, you know, you might want to do something else. I don't know that he wants to be president, you know, at the end of the day. I don't know that, you know. You got to sit down and you know really have a conversation with yourself about that. And I'm I'm convinced he's he's undecided. I'm you know I'm not uh, going to say that that's the majority opinion, but you know I don't think until he says he's running that he's running. Uh, Ross Ramsey with us here at Ross Ramsey on Twitter. Uh, Ross, tell us about property taxes. And I've been told that the wheels are off SB two that the lieutenant governor may not even have 16 votes to bring it to a floor. What what do you think about SB2? And first, I would appreciate you describing in Ross Ramsey terms what SB2 is. So this is the property tax bill forwarded by the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the speaker of the house. It would require an automatic voter election so voters could approve any property tax revenue increase greater than two and a half percent so if your city or your county or your school district or any of the other entities that charge sales or charge property taxes were to raise their revenue from property taxes more than two and a half percent there'd be an automatic election so voters could say yes or no to it Uh, the, the local officials object to it because they say it would constrain them and they wouldn't be able to deliver all of the services that they deliver now, that it could, you know, put them in a real bind that way. And they also say the state, you know, has gotten in the habit of sending them unfunded mandates, chores to take care of that are expensive and that the state doesn't pay for. And, you know, at the, you know, their final argument really, or one of their arguments is, you know, the state ought to mind its own business. These are elected officials. They're responsive to their voters. Uh, The state ought to, you know, stay in its own lane. Mm-hmm. That's not really selling well, well at the Capitol. Two years ago, the House came in and said we ought to change the limit to 6%. The Senate came in and said it ought to be 4%. They couldn't negotiate 5% out of that for a lot of reasons. And then the governor came in and said, what about 2.5%? And that's where they're starting this time. The Senate committee that looked at this first passed it out. It's on. It went over to the Senate and there's a lot of resistance to 2.5%. I think the idea of a revenue cap or a revenue trigger, whatever you want to call it, um, probably has enough support in the Senate. They're just At this point, they're just looking for a number uh, to see what would work. And, I, you know, it's early in the session. We're only 25% of the way through the session. And, you know, I don't think you can call anything completely messed up. You can just say, you know, the negotiations have begun. We have first contact. Yeah. Ross, is it correct that back during the Carter administration that the rates were at closer to 4% than they are 8% now? I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that they changed them to 8 in the face of 
you know, it was part of a big, big property tax reform that the state undertook. And at the same time, that's when the state got rid of its own property tax. And they had this uh, built in protection so that if um, those revenues go up more than 8%, then voters can sign petitions and demand an election. And if they get enough petitions, you know, the election is a, is a rollback election. It happens, but it's pretty rare. One of the arguments now is that 8% is just too high, and, and requiring those petitions is too burdensome. So it ought to be a smaller number, um, and it ought to be an automatic election. And those are kind of the two big provisions on the tax control side. Now at 8%, proposed at 2.5, look in your crystal ball. What do you think is going to happen here? I don't know. I think something other than 2.5. They made a pretty good argument in committee for indexing this, you know, tying it in some way to inflation so that, you know, that 8% came from a time when 8% was pretty much, you know, on the middle or low end of inflation. Um, People, you know, people my age can remember mortgages at 15% or 16% at the end of the Carter administration. Um, But 2.5%, you know, as we've said, has a hard time getting enough votes in the Senate. You know, we don't know what the House is going to do yet. And if, but if you can't get it through both the House and the Senate, you're going to have to raise that rate to something both sides can swallow. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on? What do you got your uh, documents open on here to write about? Well, there's every a... Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Ross Ramsey writes an analysis piece there at TexasTribune.org. What are you working on? Uh, working on taxes. There's a proposal in the works from uh, a state representative from North Texas that would offer a property tax cut. Um, you know, the bill that's pending now doesn't have a cut in it. It basically says, you know, if they're successful with this, their contention is that it won't cut your property taxes, but it'll make increases in the future smaller. Uh, some members want some kind of cut in property taxes. And to have any kind of appreciable effect on your local property taxes on a statewide level, they've got to raise a ton of money. So they're proposing, you know, various existing state tax exemptions that they might get rid of, and um, maybe that money could be used to cut property taxes or to give people some actual property tax relief. We're on the front end of all these arguments about property taxes, but uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about before the legislature goes home around Memorial Day. One favor I have of you. Whenever you write about, if you write about some of these guys, and I've got Dr. Jason White in studio, who was a primary voter with me for Donald Trump. Whenever you write about some of these guys who now want Trump's border wall, Ross Ramsey, here's my one favor. I remember back whenever I voted for Donald Trump in that Republican primary, I was called a liberal. I was called, you know, you aren't really with Ted Cruz, so you're not a real conservative now these same people want to put forward billions of dollars for the border wall. Um, could you at least try to highlight that irony for us? You know, if I did in covering politics with highlight, iron, hi, highlight ironies, that's all I would do. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, texastribune.org. I mean, get up off your couch now, my shrink, my Ross Ramsey shrink, and uh, look at a new way at uh, Texas politics. Appreciate you making time as you do each week here. Okay, buddy. We'll talk to you next Wednesday. All right. Talk to you then. Bye-bye. Ross Ramsey.
executive editor of the Texas Tribune, there with us. You only get it one place. You get it from right here on the other side of Texas. I'm going to not ask you for your thoughts right now, Jason White. <laughs> we'll get in with you after the break and go to that break now. Quickie break. Be right back with you. Good candid talk coming up for you right here on the other side of Texas. Not that chill off your bones. Got food on the fire. Can I get you some to eat? Make yourself at home. Yeah, I'm on the run. I'm looking out, searching for something that I still care about. I'm looking up to the sky. Now he gets his proper introduction. He is Dr. Jason White, uh, famous and notorious dentist here in Lubbock, Texas. Glad to thank you, thank you, Jay, to uh, <laughs> join us here on the program. And I bring you in, Dr. White, because I think people enjoy to listen to the conversation that's to ensue for the next twenty minutes or so. Um, just had Ross Ramsey on. Any takeaway thoughts from Ross Ramsey? The takeaway was from you. The, the fact that you brought up when we voted for Trump in the primary. Yeah. And how, you remember the criticism we got? Yeah, that we weren't conservative enough. Yeah, we were liberal. Now these people want to put billions of dollars into his border wall. That's right. The same people who are like, oh, you're a liberal. Yeah. Like, my, 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 how things change. The thing that cracks me up about the whole El Paso rally is that, first of all, he said, well, there's I, the class. I need to give <clears throat> you more applause there. <laughs> no, but uh, Beto, Beto, Robert, whatever you want to call him, right, that he had more supporters at his rally. And I, I go back to the pictures, and if you look on Twitter and Facebook, I think president trump definitely had better pictures or photography of the type of people that were out there but the only pictures i saw at the beto rally were barriers and walls set up for security for his rally some irony there yeah and i i think that you know if we want to get into the wall issue you know sometimes i just want trump when he was in the oval office with nancy pelosi and uh chuck schumer and they were sitting there. I just wanted to say, do you live behind a wall? You know, there's hypocrisy there. And they do live behind walls. They do live behind security. And during the rally, Trump said, I'm guilty. I live behind a wall. I live behind the Secret Service. You know, and if you think about it, you know, I think that after two years, what's it been, two and a half years since we had our little show with O'Cliffy? Mm -hmm. Right? And... You know, we took a lot of heat for supporting Trump so early. and But Cliff was like a Rubio guy. Oh, yeah. That's always a safe card. <laughs> I, I was with Rubio. Rubio. Yeah, he, he was playing the safe card. Little Marco. But we, see, look how far we've come in those two and a half years, right? With all the, the fact that Trump, the day he got inaugurated into office, he was put into a corner. Trump is a survivor. Right, and two and a half years later, he's sitting at fifty-two percent approval rating, and that poll goes way back. It's a daily presidential tracking poll that is consistent, and if you look at it, it's very consistent with Obama, George W. Bush, and the fact that he's had been hit so hard from all directions—the media, the liberal left, 
the collusion idea, the he's a racist, the building of the wall. Um, the fact he's sitting 52% means that something's going right in the middle of America, not the far right, mm-hmm. not the far left. But two year and a half years ago, you would have never thought that the liberal left would be passing abortion bills or even talking about the type of abortion bills they're passing. You would never think the Green New Deal would be an issue or even in conversation. Uh, look at New Mexico and what's happening with them. So a lot has changed since we've been since we've had our show. Yeah, and I think it is surprising to a lot of people that if if there were ever a time in I I started this show talking locally. If there were ever a time for like the Lubbock County Democratic Party to begin to appeal to the middle, now's the time. And I, but you keep like we keep waiting for that, right? And I mean, you well, know, after this, I think I'm done waiting. I don't think you do. You do wait because when you have the type of voices that are out there. I mean, look at the New York Congresswoman. I won't even say her name. You know, when she tweets something, she has 50,000-plus likes. AOC. AOC. And she puts out this Green New Deal, and the Hawaii representative gets on national television the next day and is interviewed, and they're like, you know, the tourism and air travel to your state, your island, is important. Oh, I never thought about that, but she's still on the right track. Because of the emissions, yeah, based upon the air traffic. But they travel. continue to fly their private jets and fly airplanes and go to all of their rallies, like mm-hmm. Beto's rally in in uh, El Paso, and they fly home to Hawaii. There, there's just such a hypocrisy amongst the party when it when it starts to fall far left, just as if it would if it fell far right, you know, in the Republican Party, which Republicans have. And I think where Trump is winning and why his, his approval rating is where it is is because after the elections in November, I think he very much has a calmer tone considering what his tone has been the like. The State of the Union was pretty the calm. The State of the Union was good. I think I started the program by saying it's almost like your buddy who you've known your whole life. You've played ball with him. You've raced him. You've done all sorts of things with him. And then he sits down at the grand piano based on the State of the Union the other night, mm-hmm. sits down at a grand piano and begins to play like he's Bach. And it's like, I didn't even know you could do that, man. So he, he does that, right? And he did that during the State of the Union. But yet the Democratic Party is like this crazy rave on the beach right now. And that's the comparison. And so, I don't know. I think we have a a president that understands that the border and he's portraying it a lot better, that the wall is a lot more than just a barrier. It's about the humanitarian crisis that Brandon Darby has been preaching for years. South of the border. South of the border, yeah. yes. But it's for years it's been a humanitarian crisis. And we've got to give Brandon Darby a shout-out. I mean, he's our friend, and he's starting to make moves himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been talking about it's not just the problem is – and again, I say south of the border. His big focus is always a hundred miles south of the border, not just at the border or Way north. south. It's the problems that exist to the south. Um, 
Hey, so you were featured in lots of national publications for being pro-Trump. You helped a waitress. Uh, lots of people can just go Google Jason White uh, waitress and find... White you, Trump supporter. White Trump Black Trump. waitress. That's how the media portrays yeah. it. Uh, what's, ever, what's ever come to fruition with that? Well, I still occasionally... The good news is it's calmed down. And after seeing what happened to what's happened to people that wear the red hat and how they're portrayed in the media today it's amazing that two years ago at least the media portrayed the interaction between myself a red hat wearer you know make america great again hat um walks into a restaurant that's very progressive left and meets rosalind who was a woman's march supporter and the media did a good job you know, of getting our story out there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of misleading things in there, like the Great Brits, if you recall, said we were wearing cowboy hats because we were from West Texas. I don't really own a cowboy hat. But, uh, you know, I, I still get emails. I had a gentleman call about three weeks ago to the office that said that he just read this article about us. He's from San Antonio, and he just wanted to thank me. So, you know, during that time period, I received a lot of uh, hate emails and a lot of threats, but I also received a lot more kindness. Threats! Yeah, you remember the threats? You know, white privilege, we'll kill you, all kinds of things. I have all those emails, but it was nothing like what those kids went through and what people are going through now. And and that's what, it bothers me, actually. Those kids from the Catholic high school. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's hang on. Dr. White, and let's get into another break. Get back in. I know you have some news observations you want to get into. We certainly want to bring those Yeah, there's up. a few fun things. Yeah, just a couple. Stick right, right here with us. Quickie break. Get in with Doc White. Coming back up on your Wednesday drive home or your Wednesday episode here, however you're listening, right here on the other side of Texas. Dr. Jason White in studio with us. The doc himself has been so successful that he don't care. He'll just say what he's thinking here <laughs> on the program. And um, so, Doc, some new stuff that you look through that you can't believe that you want to get into Where here. Where do you want to start? I don't know. You tell what me. You... How is it? What do you think that with AOC, the congresswoman, New York, what do you think Jody Arrington has to... I can't imagine. How does he prep I can't imagine a meeting? Knowing that you're going to go into a room with a self-proclaimed socialist that's representing a part of our country, and the things that she throws out on Twitter and the way she conversates with news media, she contradicts herself. She doesn't even make sense 99% of the time. And did you see her facial expressions during the State of the Union? I mean, she was just mad about everything. But he got her up and clapping, yeah, didn't he? that one time, right? And I can't imagine Jody Arrington, who has, by the way, represented West Texas in a probably one of the, I don't know, I'd consider him one of the best representatives of of what we believe. He's classic. 
He's he believes in West Texas. I think that when he's sitting in his chair and he's in his committees and he's giving a talk on the floor of the House of Representatives, he believes truly in his heart that he represents all West Texans, regardless of your political uh, viewpoints. And the fact that I think about it often, could you imagine having to sit down across the table from someone like AOC who wants to get rid of cow farts? I mean, that's a true story. Getting rid of cattle altogether. Yeah, and get, yeah, that's, Meat that's the new thing. beware. Now, yeah. uh, today that was trending today, how the Green New Deal and, and uh, Brooks, Corey, what's that guy? Just the oh, New York man. senator? You had to ask me. Yeah, it's Corey. The senator from New York. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. He, he tweeted today that maybe that's, there's a good point to uh, how much meat Americans eat. Booker. Booker. Yeah. I mean, he actually tweeted that. And so when you ask Ramsey about Beto, would he run as a centrist, there's no way. It's not even worth him running right now because you can tell the, you know, the one thing that I did see where if Joe Biden were to jump in, and Beto became his VP running mate right off the bat. That may throw some kinks into the whole uh, political election in 2020, but I just don't think the Democratic Party is under the control of a centrist Democrat view uh, agenda. You know, I talked with some people today who, and we'll bring this up again on Friday, some people who were in California over the course of this week and Julian Castro came through and get this California Democrats very unpleased with Julian Castro because he wouldn't take up the LGBT mantle that he want that they wanted him to take up and would stick away from a couple of other issues environmental and otherwise thinking he's too centrist it's crazy to me. I mean, here we are. I remember John Wayne and the Cowboys. There ain't no... How, how did they say it? There ain't no Sundays west of Nevada, I mm-hmm. believe is how they put it. Um, in in that context, you aren't going to get a whole lot of cohesion between Texas and California. But their thinking was that Julian Castro... It's way too centrist, and so is Beto O'Rourke, which is unbelievable. Like it's crazy. Like here, like now, Beto O'Rourke, no Kiero Beto. Beto, that's what I see. No Kiero yeah. Beto. The thing, the thing about Beto that I see and I don't understand is he just says lots of different things. I don't think he truly has. I will say this, Doc. He came on with me. We sat down for about 40 minutes. It's there on our SoundCloud, on our podcast. And we talked about the border. And I remember asking him point blank, don't you think the border is more of an ideological issue where your party wants inclusion at all costs, but here we're asking them to exclude? That maybe you can be defined more by what you are not than what you are. And him handling that issue and saying, yes, we need to firm up the border. And people who are here illegally need to be sent home. And, you know, based upon Monday night, and it just makes me second guess what I was told face to face. That maybe you don't believe these things. Maybe you think that 
not not only asylums but others ought to be brought in well and i think that's the majority of the democratic presidential nominees or people running for the nominee position of the democratic party the most of them you know two years ago they were for voting for billions of dollars for border security in the wall numerous times they voted for that they were not for late-term abortion, and I want to talk about that. The, what's happening in New Mexico and New York and Virginia, I, 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 you know, I know abortion is a tough issue for some. For me, it's not. I believe that life starts at the heartbeat, and it ends when the heartbeat starts, stops, right? I just always have believed that, and that's my stance. But the fact that we're talking about late-term and full-term abortion— New Mexico, I'm from New Mexico, and there's two things that's going on in that state. They're run by the radical left, in my opinion, now, when you pass a bill in the House, I guess, it got passed, it hasn't passed the Senate yet, on full-term abortion, late at night. And then there's a bill that was just recently presented in New Mexico where they're going to put a temporary ban on fracking and horizontal drilling of oil wells in the state of New Mexico for four years. It's going to be brought onto the floor on March 11th. I mean, that's extreme viewpoints right there, especially when southeastern New Mexico and northwest New Mexico generate 80 to 90% of all the state's revenue. Imagine the number of jobs that would be lost there. And then you look at the federal government, and AOC presents this trillions and trillions and trillions and uh, dollar green new deal i mean it's just i wish i knew more about it but i don't which one the aoc thing because you've been doing a great job of representing the other side of texas i appreciate that (laughs) but you know new mexico that's a big deal those are two that's a real bill on the oil and gas industry that's going to be voted on by a democratic party that just passed a bill to allow full-term abortion and what's to stop them from passing that bill to stop the oil and gas industry altogether in the state of new mexico Mm -hmm. now the pushback is going to be intense from the federal government too with all the federal leases that are in the state of new mexico eddie county and lee county which is where hobbs and artesia and carlsbad are which that economics trickles down into where the hub city yeah you know i have 20 30 percent of my patients i know many of my doctor friends that a lot of their patients come from southeastern new mexico and those economics trickle down and they affect us when uh, policies are passed like that in new mexico but the abortion thing and uh that really bothers me yeah, I think a lot of people, it does. And I think rightfully so. And I've been asking a question for a long time, for the longest time. Can you not be for the farmer and for the baby? Can you not be? <laughs> like, where, yeah. where is that middle ground now? Yeah. And that's the middle ground that we need to forge. Doc White, Dr. Jason White, appreciate you coming in. I'm glad you invited me. Thank you. Yeah, it's good been to a have while. you. Yeah, it's good to have you back in here. Any parting thoughts you got? I think the next couple of years are going to be interesting, and I hope to come back here and sit down, and especially going into 2020, I might have to be on here a little more. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Hey, 
for now gonna get home gotta get home great family above average dinner waiting for me there at the ponderosa no games tonight no nothing else to do we're just gonna sit down have dinner as a family oh texas tech is tech versus tonight. oklahoma state important game so you got to sit down and watch that so game. so i got some things to do got to write up some contracts maybe watch big the real game. estate guy here yeah. the <laughs> the real estate stuff rolling uh so gonna get home gotta get home great family do you feel like an all-out entrepreneur now or a, getting there? A little bit. It's just harder and harder to find time to sleep at night. Got to multitask. Yeah, we are multitasking. Hey, uh, but that's what we do. Good West Texans. Until next time, Rayvon Buddies. Rayvon, we'll see you next edition. Tomorrow on the program, we have Bazaar. Mike Bazaar going to come in. We're going to do a Technology Thursday. And then our friend Fred Harden on local economics and the housing market. Get in with Fred Harden as well. Until next time, Rayvon buddies. Rayvon, we'll see you next edition of Other Side of Texas.